Hey folks, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning into Front Row Knowles and thanks to the Champions Club and Seminole Boosters for their longtime support of this podcast. By now you've seen or heard about the Boosters One Tribe campaign, which is annual membership to Seminole Boosters that helps fund the most vital needs of the FSU athletics program, including scholarships, academic support, and athletic training. I'll put this as simply as I can. If you're listening to this podcast, you care about FSU athletics and should be a booster. Many of you already are. Thank you. And I encourage you, if you're able, to increase your support. If you're not a member, you can join for as little as 70 bucks a year. Just go to boosters.fsu.edu to learn more. And now sit back, keep your seat, keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle. Well, you know the drill. Enjoy the show. Here's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Keith, I am excited. Would you like to know why? I, uh, I'm i scared, full of fear and trepidation to ask you why, but yes, inquiring minds want to know. It's a football game week, and I know it's <laughs> spring football, so you put an asterisk there because we get all excited to go to the stadium and watch the team play, and then it's a glorified practice slash scrimmage and not really what you're accustomed to seeing when there's 80,000 folks in the stadium. But nevertheless, it's football and it makes it feel because we are one day at a time creeping closer to the new season. It's your opportunity because all of us are uh, couch coaches. You know, we all know what we would do if we were uh, on the field coaching a group uh, to judge how far they are along, how excited we should be. Uh, Obviously, we want to pick our favorite player if we don't have one. If we do have one, we want to see how he does. And, uh, you know, all the things that the media has said, we want to validate or make sure that uh, we tell our friends and neighbors that we don't believe what they're telling us. What do you think or what do you want to see on Saturday? I just want to see basics. I want to see offensive linemen engaging with defensive linemen. I want to see defensive linemen occasionally whipping a block. I want to see a back make somebody miss. I want to see a receiver make a routine catch. Uh, I want to see a quarterback make a read. I mean, this is not about game planning. This is not about getting ready for Notre Dame. This is, are we continuing to make progress in what Coach Norvell and his staff are trying to install? Uh, Are they executing it? Uh, I want boring football. Put another way, what you don't want to see is Missed assignments, drop no. passes, dumb penalties. If exactly. we see none of that, but we don't see seventy-five-yard touchdown runs, we'll still take it as a win. That is a, that is a and, and a happy win, a very happy win. The eyes will be focused on the quarterback competition, but we've known Kenny Dillingham made it clear, I think, after the first practice that the quarterback battle was going to go all the way through the fall. We fully expected that. I don't even know if you'll announce – Coach Norvell might announce a starter a week or 10 days out, but he might keep that close to the vest too just because it's something that he can hide from Notre Dame if he wants to. But it's going to go deep into August. Beyond that, just looking at some guys that have, have popped, uh, Jason Corbin has had a pretty good spring. I'm interested to see the offensive line play. And to be clear, this is not going to be a typical game format. They're not splitting into teams. They're thin at some positions, so they really can't do that and split into two to be as effective. So it's really the offense scrimmaging the defense. But I'm looking forward to seeing 
what progress the offensive line maybe has made, although it's tough to tell because you never know if the offense does well, does that mean the defense isn't? But one of the stars of this spring, unquestionably, for Florida State, maybe the biggest star, has been a newcomer in Jermaine Johnson, who's going to join us next segment, defensive end transfer from the University of Georgia. So I don't know how much success Florida State's going to have blocking him, but I'm excited about the potential he brings to that defensive front. When you listen to to the coaches talk and what little bit of private conversation you and I are able to still uh, engage in with folks. Um, he, he has measured up to, to the hype at the coach's level. Now, whether he's measured up or will measure up to the hype that maybe is being created in the media, I don't know. But in terms of him performing what the coaches have asked of him, uh, he's been all that and then some. Uh, he's an incredibly good-looking athlete. You know, if you just take a photograph, as Coach, uh, Coach Jim Gladden used to say, he looks good on the hoof. You know, he's, he's he very – his physique is great. He's cut. He's the right size. He carries himself. And so far, uh, he's been performing. Now, does that mean he's going to be a Reinhard Wilson or a Peter Boulware or Derek Brooks-type performer? Not, not even beginning to say that yet. Way too early. But it has not been disappointing in any facet in terms of his work ethics and what he's been able to do in the practice field. So we'll keep our eyes peeled in his direction. And overall, you always cross the fingers that you don't get injuries in these situations and you come out of it and, and everybody's fired up and happy and you get into your off season and put some more good weight on and get into the, uh, the off season program and then the summer voluntary and all that. And you can come back in August. So we are doing a radio broadcast this weekend, Keith, and Gene Deckerhoff is going to be involved, obviously, but he's also serving as a guest coach. And what I don't know is, will he be doing play-by-play while he's calling the plays? Because that would be something unique, even for Gene, as good as he is, if he could pull that off. (laughs) Well, the thing, the first thing that jumped out at me when I heard about it is, can Gene call the plays correctly? In other words, can he communicate the proper cadence to the kids so that they know what he's calling, because uh, he may be like me. Let's go toss right on two. Ready, break. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to call the three-two-one touchdown play, right? That's what Gene's going to exactly, call. exactly. So that'll be fun. The game kicks at five this weekend, and we will talk specifically about spring football with uh, Jermaine next segment, and also Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider, will join us in our third segment. But just so you know, if you're listening and you're coming in town, it is a busy weekend on campus. I know baseball's out of town, but the softball team has a home series. They're good as always. Men's tennis is playing Friday morning. Women's tennis is in the top 10. They're playing Friday afternoon. Beach volleyball, one of the top couple of programs in the country. They're at home this weekend. If you don't have your tickets yet, they're 10 bucks. You can get them on Seminoles.com. You can also purchase parking to get close to the stadium. So Weather should be good, so good weekend ahead on the football front. Shall we pause now with Gridiron Talk, Keith, and go back to visit basketball real quickly? I think we should. So on the basketball front, everybody has had a chance to to relive, and and I think everybody probably watched that game, but that UCLA-Gonzaga game was as good as I've ever seen. And it was followed by as bad as I've ever seen in that Gonzaga-Baylor game on Monday night. So I don't know how much we have to talk about that. But uh, great game, great finish uh, on Saturday. Congrats to the basketball world for getting a a tournament in. The men's team for FSU finishes in the Sweet 16, not where we ultimately wanted them to go. 
But uh, nevertheless, they finished number 10 in the final rankings. And we're sort of taking that for granted now, Keith, which I think is the main story that we take for granted that uh, I don't know if I'm that excited. They made the Sweet 16 and they finished number 10 in the country. You know, it's similar to what we've done in baseball through all the years. You know that Florida State's going to make the regionals. You know their baseball team's going to win 40 games. Uh, And now, hopefully, we're getting into that routine on the basketball side in terms of Sweet 16 and top 10 finishes and that type of thing. Um, I think the interesting part for me, Tommy, about the specific Baylor-Gonzaga game is totally unrelated related to what went on the court. You and I were talking before we came on the air uh, about uh, your time growing up watching the Dolphins and everything. And you always hear in the NFL season, whenever an NFL team is you know, progressing undefeated, that the, the 72 Dolphins players will get together or they will celebrate in some way, you know, when somebody loses. And my first thought was, was the, the 76 Indiana basketball team, were they assembled anywhere and popping champagne when Gonzaga got beat? So they still remain the, the, the ones that went undefeated in a season. Uh, I, I don't know, but uh, that's how the, uh, that's how the, the Jones brain works sometimes. <laughs> well, at least it's still working. We do have that going for us limited though it may be but yes it's still working i'm going to make a quick public service announcement for florida state fans basketball fans in general because i i look this up so i think most folks listening to this show are aware that whether you gamble or not the odds came out for next year and florida state is depending on you know your sports book of choice they're set you can get the second or third you know uh I won't say best odds because you're not going to win as much unless you put down money. So that's probably not the best terminology, but uh, in terms of being favored to win Florida state's right there on a very short list to have the best odds to win the championship. But here, that wasn't the public service message. The public service message was the final four next year is in new Orleans. So if you live in Tallahassee, if you are cost conscious and worried about the budget, this is a drivable trip and it is worth getting your tickets right now to go to the final four if Florida State makes it, it's a bonus, but this is just my disclaimer, and I'll come back to that in a little bit. Is that a nice tease there, Keith? And there is talk that they may have the entire tournament in the New Orleans area, just like they did in Indianapolis this year. Not to be decided yet, but they may go to that, so there may be a whole lot of basketball going on in that area. And I actually like that idea even when we're out of COVID. And I'll expound on that later as well. we got to take a break. Our guest is ready to join us. Uh, so we'll come back and we'll shift our attention back to Florida State football. Stay with us here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ back with you. I promised we'd continue our conversation about Florida State University football. It is the week of the spring game, and we're happy to open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together to talk to one of the gentlemen who's had a really good spring out there for Florida State and a newcomer to FSU, but we're pleased to welcome Jermaine Johnson to the program. Jermaine, how are you, sir? I'm well, I'm well. Thank you guys for having me. You bet, and thank you for a few minutes of your time. 
I know you've been here for a couple of months now and, and you're a veteran to, to college football. But that said, uh, a couple of months is not a long time necessarily to get integrated, to meet your teammates, to get to know your coaches, especially when we're, we're in a COVID environment. So before we talk on the field, just how is your uh, how has the transition gone in terms of arriving and feeling comfortable in Tallahassee and at Florida State? Man, it's gone great. It's gone lights out. I mean, I couldn't be happier. Uh, I love everything that's going on. School is going great. Um, everything on the field is going great. Off the field is great. Um, coaches are just who I thought they were. My teammates, I'm going to love them more every day. It's coming a brotherhood. So, I mean, I love everything about it. I'm excited to um, keep it going, too. All right, Jermaine, let's talk about the important stuff. How many times have you gotten lost and gone the wrong way on a one-way street in Tallahassee so far? <laughs> oh, no, not too many times. Uh, I come from uh, Minneapolis, so we got a lot of one-ways out there and confusing roads out there. So uh, I, I've uh, navigated pretty well out here. Good for you. Good for you. That's great. So there's not been a lot of Minnesota connections to Florida State football that I can think of. So I want to get to your store, but one of them won a Heisman Trophy, and that's Chris Winkie. And the other one that I can think of is Joe Maurer, who, who had signed to play baseball here, I guess, or no, football here, but then became a, a you know pretty good Major League Baseball player. So how does one get from Eden Prairie, Minnesota, to, to FSU? I, I know you were at junior college and then at Georgia. So really the question is, when, it, when you decided you were going to move on from, from Athens and the University of Georgia, what was the attraction to Florida State? Uh, I mean, the historic greatness of this program uh, drew me here, all the greats it, it produces, and uh, not to mention the opportunity <clears throat> to be a part of, of the revival here. And um, that being said, the coaching staff um, was amazing, and uh, they, they just uh, were talking about how special of a fit it could be, uh, you know, for both parties, and, and that just caught my attention. And um, I came in with my uh, head down and my hard hat on and just went to work. Um, just trying to earn respect of both my teammates and coaches. Jermaine, how different uh, from a schematic <clears throat> standpoint is what you're being asked to do now from what you've done in the past, i.e., is it a significant change? Are you very comfortable with it? How's that going? I'm extremely comfortable with it. This is more uh, similar to what I did in junior college, um, what I excelled at. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be back in that kind of role especially um, with this body type I have now. So it's pretty scary, but it's fun. Um, so, uh, yeah, like I said, I'm just more comfortable uh, in this role. Um, I did just a variety of things in the, in the Georgia defense, and, and then that was fun as well. But it's fun to just get my hand back in the dirt and, and play uh, more of a traditional 4-3 uh, defensive end. You mentioned the Florida State history and legacy. There's there's quite a legacy of defensive ends here. How how privy are you or were you before you arrived just when you look back at guys like Renard Wilson and Peter Bolware and more, you know, most recently maybe Brian Burns from a couple of years ago. But there's a long list of guys that I slighted by not naming them there. But uh, you, you see their names, I'm sure, in the locker room and, and around the athletic center. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I mean, uh, as I was being recruited here um, by the coaches, you know, Coach Odell, and Coach JP, they they uh, went on and showed me the list of guys they coached and helped produce and and, and uh, seen how many guys came through this program. And uh, not to mention, I, I did connect with Brian Burns uh, a little bit. And, you know, we talked a little and he was <clears throat> he was here recently and, and stuff like that. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's just it's like I said, historical great. But um, historically, they've produced uh, really great pass rushers. And I'm just glad I can. Um, you know, God willing, keep that tradition going. 
Jermaine, you played a lot at your time at Georgia. You've gone up against offensive lines in the SEC. Uh, we always like to ask our newcomers, you know, what's it like going against the kids you're going against on the offensive line? Who stood out to you? What's impressed you about the offensive group that you're going up against every day? I mean, that, that whole group, they're getting better and better every every practice, every rep, they're getting better. And, um, you know, at, every, at the end of every practice, pretty much in scrimmage, you know, I'll have one or two of them come up to me and just say, you know, how, how great it is to, you know, to just be working uh, and competing the way we do with each other because it makes them so much better as it does me. So, I mean, they're, they're all just getting better and they're getting good and they're working and they're open to learning new things. And I even, uh, I'll try to teach them, uh, what I know, you know, uh, from a from a defensive end pass rushing standpoint, you know, sometimes that helps them. So it's just good to to be out there competing the way we do because both parties benefit from it, and and in turn, the whole team benefits. Coach Norvell has commented that he's been pleased with the way you've shown leadership skills, and I'm curious for you. I mean, on the one hand, a guy that's a, a fourth or fifth year guy just by the nature of being one of the older guys could be looked at as a leader, but that's tougher when you're a transfer and you come in and you didn't come in with these guys as freshmen. Uh, do you see yourself as a leader? And, and, and if so, uh, how difficult is it to lead when you're still literally uh, in some cases, probably learning the names of guys that are on the other side of the field? Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. Uh, no, like I said, I just came in, um, keep my head down and, and, and working, uh, I mean, to me, that's the that's the main way <clears throat> you earn leadership and, and you, you, you go in a role like that. A lot of guys just think, you you know, you just obtain that role as given to you, um, you know, just because of your status or whatever. But I mean, I, you, I strongly believe you got to work hard and earn the respect of, of your teammates and coaches. And and by doing that, you know, you, you just naturally fall into a leadership position like that. And uh, that's just what I try to do. I just try to come in and work and earn the respect of my teammates and, and my program. So, I mean, you know, whatever happens, happens after that. But um, regardless, I come to work the same every day, regardless to what we do out there. So I'm just glad I'm in a position that I am. And, and I hope to just rub off on, on some of those younger guys and even older guys. And uh, hopefully it makes the team better. Jermaine, academically, what are you studying? Uh, life after football, what does that hold for you, do you think? Uh, right now, urban and financial planning. Um, and I'm just hoping to do a little bit of, uh, you know, God willing, uh, I hope it's I uh, make it to the NFL and, and I do well sure, out there. Sure, sure. Um, I just, I really want to uh, learn about money and, and what to do with it and, and how to handle it. So, you know, once I do get some money in my hands, I, I'm, I'm mature and, and, being a, an adult with it and uh, know how to how to make my money work for me mainly. So just want to learn about money and, and, and uh, real estate, because, I mean, that's one of the best investments you can do is land because I go in. Well, once you learn, come back and teach us so we can make some better decisions <laughs> as we grow older. Let me let me move it back, <laughs> move it back on the field, Jermaine. Uh, you talk about, you know, earning your respect from your teammates. Who's earned your respect from, and, and really what I'm asking is who stood out to you, whether it's along the defensive line, on the defense, really anybody on the team as you're out there grinding every day when you look up and you think, man, whoever it is, they're, they're having a great camp too. Man, it's really everybody on the on, on my side of the ball. Um, I mean, I'm, there's people on the other side of the ball, but as you know, I, you know, I work with them on the defense, so I'm around them most of the day. But I mean, when, when I'm busting my butt out there and, 
you know, and, and sometimes I can be pretty vocal when I get into it. And, um, and those guys just respond right back and they're, they're ready to work. So it's just, it's great when you got a, a group of guys around you that, you know, are going to work their butts off because, because you, because um, like I was talking about before, respect is everything. Once you earn someone's respect and they earn yours, now you have trust in that person. And now you, now you guys can play sound football. Now, you can do your assignment and just do your assignment and, and have faith that the other guy is going to do his assignment. And then that's how you, that's how you have a good defense. So, I mean, it all goes hand in hand and, and I'm just glad uh, to have the, the guys around me that I do. Jermaine, when the uh, spring game is over and you start working towards uh, the summer and getting ready for fall camp, what are the couple of things that you're going to be focused on to make uh, your individual improvement as you get ready for the 2021 season? <clears throat> Man, um, uh, this this uh, month we got coming up, uh, I don't plan on taking much time off. I, I plan to go pretty much uh, pedal to the middle in terms of training, um, mostly speed training, uh, as well as uh, individual pass rush training. Um, and then just stay in my playbook <clears throat> and uh, just uh, keep their regiment going up, up until we re uh, report back and um, and uh, get back to work with, with uh, football from a schematic standpoint. But yeah, like I said, just um, mostly speed work, get get more explosive, and then um, make sure my pass rush game is on point, so uh, so we can have a, a pretty fun time this fall. Is there someone, as someone who played here, but it was a long time ago, I don't recommend you go back to Minnesota and spend a couple of three months, and then come back to Tallahassee in August with the heat and humidity. You're probably better prepared staying right here. That's what I had to do. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm not. I'm not. I don't plan on going back uh, too long. If, if anything, a week or two. No, uh, I plan on staying down here or um, in the area. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're right about that one. It's pretty significant weather uh, difference. We'll wrap up here momentarily. Who, who do you model your game after? I mean, who would you compare your game to? I don't mean not necessarily a Florida State guy. It could be a Georgia guy, but a pro guy. Is there somebody you say that's that's who I am or who I want to be? I, I, I watch a lot of Khalil Mack, man. He's uh He's just a, a dominant force. He's a wrecking ball. Um, and, I, and I try to do, do things like that because the guy has speed, the guy has power, and he has technique. And at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to is technique. And if you have that along with uh, your God-given talent, it can be pretty scary. So, yeah, pretty much Khalil Mack. And um, as I have put on this weight and, and, and my explosiveness and speed has increased with my uh, age and maturity, um, that's who I've uh, – uh, that's who I've gravitated towards and watching because it's important to, to model your game after someone with a similar body type. So uh, that's who I try to watch. Cool. And, and, and final question, I think I read somewhere, maybe it was when you were first uh, announcing for Florida state that you used to watch videos of Dalvin cook when you were in high school. Can you, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, man. Uh, so <clears throat> in high school, I, I played both sides of the ball. Um, I played receiver as well. Um, like, 50 pounds ago so uh yeah so I got pretty hyped up um watching watching him play and and uh other other uh college teams play but I just remember him he was he was so fast and he was powerful and he could do it all and uh just that whole scene of uh Florida State college football just turned me up and that took headphones off and did what I did on Friday night so uh, there's all some right, Tommy wait a minute Tommy uh Jermaine you owe me a dollar you owe me a dollar next time we get together because okay. you used that term 50 pounds ago. You're going one way, the right way, and I'm going one way, the wrong way, but that's my term. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, 50 pounds ago, Keith was a heck of a safety here in the late 70s, Jermaine. We'll let you get running. Congrats on a good spring. Uh, best of luck this weekend and, and with the remainder of your career at Florida State. Appreciate you. Hey, thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I'll take care. All right. That is uh, Jermaine Johnson. Uh, Keith, I thought you were going to let that 50 years ago slide, uh, 50 pounds well, 50 ago. Pounds ago. 50 pounds ago. Well, it's soon to be 50 years as well, so I'll, I'll have a double-double going there. <laughs> oh, 50 pounds ago, we were all a little bit better off, right? <laughs> I think so. I think so. And, again, that speaks to, uh, you know, what we've been told and what we've seen about how he has worked so hard in the weight room and in conditioning. And I'm telling you, you know, he is a he is a great football player and a great looking athlete. I, I expect big things out of him. I really, really do. So when he was in Minnesota, he's talking about watching Dalvin Cook at Florida State. So let's hope that, you know, maybe October, November this year, Dalvin is tweeting from Minnesota about watching Jermaine Johnson wreak havoc on opposing quarterbacks at Florida State. Does that sound like uh, we could come full circle if we get that to happen? Could very well happen. Could very well happen. We'll continue our conversation about football and all Florida State athletics with our Osceola insider, Bob Frante, right after this. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you. Spring game week, and we'll continue talking spring football as we keep that Earl Bacon Agency hotline open, the Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together, and say hello to Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Doing well. How are you guys? Good. Good. Just had a good conversation with Jermaine Johnson, and we articulated this, but I'll let you fill in the blanks or, or agree or add whatever other layers you want. But by all accounts, he has been as good as advertised and better on the practice field through spring. Is that fair? Yeah, I think he's been ad- as advertised, a guy who could be a, a major contributor a good leader too. Let's be honest. This is kind of a, a younger position group. A lot of guys who are um, sort of unknown beyond what they did as recruits, maybe on special teams. So I think a, a guy like Jermaine Johnson um, can really set the tone for this group um, on the edge and also on the interior too, that they're, these are position groups that are closely intertwined and, and their coaches, uh, Odell and, and John Papuchas, you know, really work well together. So I think he's, he's very much critical for how the defense uh, performs in 2021. As we get ready for the spring game, Bob, what, what should our expectations be? Tom asked me mine. You didn't get to hear them. So I'm going to ask you, ask yours and then we'll compare. Coach Norvell said uh, Tuesday night, you know, competitive. And I think that's, that's maybe a little bit of a, a coaching cop out, but it, it, it's fairly accurate. Honestly, you want to see, the offense match the intensity of the defense. And I, I think the defense, like what happens in a lot of springs and a lot of August, the, the defense is just way ahead. You know, the offense's calls and checks and all those things. So you kind of know what's coming at you, but, but we really want to see, I think just a lot more consistency out of the receiving group. If this, if this offense is going to make a step forward in the fall, 
we really need to see receivers continue to emerge. I think that was my biggest question going into the spring. And frankly, it's still a question right now as, as what practice number 12 is in the books. Um, we want to see that step forward continue to be taken on Saturday. And, and you just feel better about um, the development of that group. Are, are guys emerging there who can help whoever the quarterback is, whether it's Jordan Travis or Mackenzie Milton? Um, it, it's really on the pass, produ- pass protection and the receivers to help this offense go. You mentioned receivers, and I was going to ask, there's always this conundrum of a spring game. If the offense does well, that means the defense didn't and vice versa, right? But when you look at individual positions, I think it's pretty easy for the layman to judge, well, we, we didn't see drop passes, so the receivers took a step forward. But what other position areas might we be able to discern that there's been marked improvement? In, in your mind, I mean, are you, is, is it linebackers? Is it just, we don't see missed assignments. So we feel better about everything. Is there a certain position group where you really think you'll, you'll know something? I think the tough thing with a spring game often is, you know, you'll see a, say a scholarship receiver lining up against a walk on defensive back. So it's really hard unless you see some good on good, some one V one or one V two. Um, I'm, I'm always curious about the offensive line going up against the defensive line, for example, just because we saw so much progress out of the OL from a run blocking standpoint. Now the next step is, is truly improve in that area, but also, you know, improve out on the edges at, at tackle as far as pass protection. Do they have more tackles developed beyond say a Robert Scott, um, you know, has, has Darius Washington, that strength added, in the off season, has he emerged um, as a guy who's truly locked down a, a tackle spot on the right side, on the left side? Um, I'm, I'm very much into the offensive line battles um, in that regard. Linebacker is a little bit tricky for me only because a guy like Emmett Rice, we don't expect, you know, to play because he had that spring injury. Um, you're seeing a lot of linebackers move around. Amari Gaynor's moved around, Stephen Dix. Um, they've just kind of had to to shuffle a little bit. I think that's kind of why we're seeing this unusual format with just the, the two 12 minute quarters instead of a full game, you know, coach Norvell just saying we've had some injuries and we're, we're just not comfortable going with a full game. So it's totally understandable. Um, as much as we want to see, I think at length, this, this, this team on offense and defense, we're going to see an abbreviated portion of it. It's more of an exhibition and, and less of a game. I think one of the things that the, the general uh, FSU fan is excited to see is obviously McKenzie Milton. And as you have commented, others that have been at practices, I think they're going to be surprised at how quick he is. And, and you put Jordan with him. And from a running standpoint, I know that's not the focus, but from a running standpoint, the quarterback position's got some horses now. Yeah, you know, I've said this to a few people, but if you took a, a total – somebody who doesn't follow college football has no idea who Mackenzie Milton is. And, and you said, go watch that guy, watch him run, watch him throw. They would have no idea that Mackenzie had a, a catastrophic you know, knee leg injury at all. He moves incredibly well. He doesn't move around like Jordan Travis, but, but quite frankly, very few people do. The, the key with Mackenzie is just, as he said, the offense has to become second nature. It's not so much forgetting what you learned at UCF, what you learned from, you know, Scott Frost or Josh Heupel. It's just adapting your, your, what you've learned from UCF and then getting comfortable 
I think in that scrimmage, scrimmage number two, a couple of Saturdays ago, he just didn't look comfortable in the pocket, even though he wasn't going to get hit. He felt the pressure. He didn't step into throws. I, we saw a lot of slinging of passes and, and that's, that's okay for where he is right now. It, it's really understandable, but I want him to get to the point where he can feel that pressure and feel like, okay, I'm going to step into the throw and, and really complete a good pass, give that receiver the best ball possible. I think we're going to see McKenzie get to that point eventually. It should honestly be celebrated where he is right now in this whole rehab, whatever we want to call this process. It's remarkable. He just has to get to a point, though, down the road where this offense is just a – it's comfortable for him. It's second nature. Well, there's sort of two components to what you just talked about there, Bob. The second part is the psychological – effect of coming back from an injury and trusting and having the confidence to step into a throw. And you never know that's different athlete to athlete. The first part is more just familiarity and I'll Jimbo described it this way. And we don't always go back to Jimbo, but he would talk about if you moved in a new house, you know, the first week you're looking at the street signs when you drive home, but after a month, you know what, it's second nature. And so that part will definitely come for McKenzie. The second part I think will come too. We just hope it's sooner, not later, i.e., you know, do we see that the first week in August or is that something that still you're in the middle of the season and he's still not trusting and who could blame him with what he's been? I can't imagine what he's been through to still want to compete and play football, frankly. Yeah, I I didn't know what to expect this spring from McKenzie, to be quite honest. I think it had been, I don't want to say built up, but, you know, knowing what he did at UCF, that he was running the scout team, he was playing against that first team defense you felt like he was doing everything a quarterback could do short of taking on contact. I I think it's been just nothing short of remarkable to get to this point, but he has to use the summer, those seven on seven workouts, going out with the receivers, being a leader, number one, taking those guys out and just saying, we need to keep working. Let's keep drilling this down day after day. It's hot, but we got to do this. And as he's getting more comfortable and building rhythm and chemistry with them, his, his rhythm and chemistry and comfort will, will grow. The other thing is this offensive line is just kind of a jumble too. So from his standpoint, he hasn't had Devontae Love-Taylor, their best blocker, anywhere along that offensive line. They've had to kind of mix and match people here and there. Thomas Schrader's been out, so you haven't had him at center. Um, Zane Herring has tried to do his best at center, but it's a new position for him sliding over from guard. It's totally different when you're snapping. So we haven't seen just a truly comfortable McKenzie Milton yet. I think by August, we're going to say, wow, he has taken a step forward from what we saw in the spring. It's, it's just, you know, we all kind of want to know when is he going to be ready? Is he going to be potentially in position to be Florida State's best starting quarterback option against Notre Dame? Or is he going to continue to need a little bit more time? And guys, I will tell you, just based on what I've seen, I, I never had a catastrophic injury. I've never had surgery, but I've been around, had teammates that have. You know, you're going to protect McKenzie. You're going to keep him from contact. But unless and until he takes that big hit, and Coach Norvell is going to have to make a decision, do we, want to, do we want that to happen during fall camp sometime, or do we just want to wait till the first game? But unless until that happens, then the completion of that psychological part you know, it's very difficult. It's just very difficult. Well, and we can, de- we can debate this at a later point, but if I, if I recall correctly, 
last fall, which is when Chuba initially got hurt in a scrimmage. I think Coach Norvell said that for the young guys, they need the contact. For the veterans, they don't. But McKenzie's – he's in between. He's an older exactly. guy but hasn't had the contact. Exactly. But you know he's going to think heavily about whether you would make him live during practice. I, honestly, I don't think you can. I think you just got to get into a game and do it. But let me let me move this forward. We haven't even talked about Randy Shannon being added – to the staff. So I'll, I'll couch it this way. So on, on, uh, well, I'll just, I'll just add this disclaimer. He's in as a defensive analyst. And I think there's a lot of good things there, Bob. The reality is that means he didn't land a coaching job somewhere. So if the phone rings, which could be today or sometime before the season, I mean, Jim Levitt was here briefly and then gone, he'll move on as he should do now. So Florida state gets the benefit for however long he's here. That was my only sort of disclaimer, but what's your thoughts on the addition uh, of, of him on the staff? He's a good guy to have on the payroll as long as you can keep him. I think to your point, there's going to be somebody out there in college football who's going to have the staff opening and the money to hire him, not just as a coach, which he's very good at, but also as a recruiter with his ties down into Dade Broward, Palm Beach, all over the state. Honestly, I mean, he's coached at Florida and, and UCF, so he knows a lot of the high school coaches. I mean, that's that's a guy who, if you're getting him on the payroll at an analyst salary, you know, let's say that's give or take a hundred grand. That's a steal, honestly, for Florida State to have him around. I do wonder, I mean, if you were placing bets, would you say that he's still with the program for the full fall? Is he there when they open against Notre Dame? I you almost have to put it at a 50-50. There tend to just be a lot of openings here and there throughout the course of of the offseason. And if there's a need for a linebacker coach or or maybe even a, a defensive coordinator, um, I think somebody's going to try to snap up Randy Shannon, but again, he's a great guy for the short term just to have for a lot of different reasons. Um, I think his personality too will mesh in pretty well with this coaching staff. I think it's going to be a, a really good hire. Two caveats guys, and I'm not making a prediction that, that they're going to occur. And I'm not saying the probability of them occurring is large, but we have experience with this because candidly, when Levitt came in, it didn't work. And Harlan, right, wrong, or indifferent, either didn't accept him, didn't want to accept him, wasn't consulted about accepting him. And I'm not saying Adam or any of the other coaching staff is going to do that, but whatever groundwork Norvell laid is already done, and that'll be very key as to whether this works from a communication standpoint. The second part of it is egos. And I know personally that when Coach Andrews came back in, he would make suggestions and they would not listen to them. He, they got rejected. So if Shannon starts making suggestions that get rejected, do, does that cause any conflict? Probability of that happening, I have no clue. I don't think it will. As you said, most people will tell you Randy is a very, very amenable guy uh, and very well respected. But there are some personality issues in this situation. How Saban has been able to manage them for all the years that he has, I just don't know. But Florida State's track record with this has not been good. Let's hope it's much, much better going forward. Yeah, no, I think it will be. I think it's worth – I don't even – I wouldn't even call it a risk. I think purely from a recruiting standpoint, this is a win for Florida State for however long he's there. I mean, we talk about him as a coach. Keith, I remember when he played for Jimmy Johnson at Miami, you know, and he's from Liberty City. I mean, he was a starting linebacker for the Canes in the mid-'80s, you know. So. Yeah, but how much recruiting can he do, Tommy? I don't he, know all those rules. He he can't be on the road, but he has the ins and the connections to the coaches to say, hey, Odell's going to be stopping by or whoever. And Odell's a bad example because he's been here and he can, has the connections. Can he make too. those calls? 
I think he can. Yeah. I don't, I, and I don't know the answer to that. If they, if he can, that's wonderful. But I just worry about all the stupid NCAA restrictions about what he can and can't do. Well, they're going to be too busy looking at NIL to worry about who's making calls in the recruiting. <laughs> we don't have to worry about that minutia. Uh, hey, Bob, last was- thing, as long as we're talking recruiting and, and Keith and I, as evidenced by the last 60 seconds here, we don't dive into this world that much. But it appears that Mike Norvell has any prospect with a pulse and some ability scheduled to be at the stadium this weekend for the game. Is that, is that true? I mean, this, this is pointing to a huge recruiting weekend for Florida state. Yeah. If you're just watching and kind of following, you know, players, prospects on Twitter, a lot of them are saying they're going to come to Tallahassee to Florida state spring game. Now, a lot of them will say it and maybe some of them won't show, but it, it sounds like we're going to see, you know, a good collection of talent. Some guys were committed, some guys who are prospects, um, some guys from classes far down the road, like 2023 and 2024. It's a really unusual set of circumstances. It is truly a dead period. They cannot talk to coaches, meet them, anything like that. They have to pay $10, just like everybody else, to get up in the stands. But just the fact that guys are traveling, like like Nico Marchial is going to come from Arizona to a spring game, and he was at the, the second scrimmage a couple weeks ago. Um, that's a good sign that guys want to spend their own money to come to Tallahassee to kind of just just hang out and just watch a game and, and check it out. It's um, it's really good. As Norvell has said, there's a lot of good momentum around the program, and that's the best way you can say it is. It's positive momentum through the offseason. It's the best you can do during a dead period until you can welcome these guys back to a summer camp, which potentially could happen in June if everything opens back up. Bob, let's do some Florida State potpourri here. So John Pack wins another tournament, which ties him, I think, with Nolan Henke for the most individual titles won as a Florida State golfer. Uh, You know, golf is sort of a niche following, if you will, but he's one of the – I mean, you could probably make the argument he's the best student athlete on campus right now. I mean, I don't know. I didn't give that a lot of thought, but he's on a pretty short list, don't you think? Yeah, he's pretty phenomenal. He, he did say that he wanted to, to stick around, be a senior. He wanted to make it a four-year experience, get his degree. That was important to him. I think the, the bummer with John Pack is that we lost a chunk of his career due to the pandemic, uh, where a lot of tournaments were canceled last spring. Uh, this fall, there wasn't really anything golf-wise going on unless they were doing things individually. I know he was playing the U.S. Open, which was obviously very cool. Um, but yeah, John Pack, I think if he has, has a chance to, uh, to pick up number nine, it would be pretty special for him just to, to say he's, he's won more than a lot of great golfers, guys who have won a ton of majors in the program's history. Softball continues to uh, get on with their season. Um, I, I guess our expectations are just too high because, you know, when they, when they don't run rules somebody, we're wondering what the world's going on. It's been impressive. I think the the pitching has really kind of propelled them to where they are. I believe they're about 10th in the standings right now. Um, you know, a, a team that's, that's really been fun to watch. Um, I, I, I think softball is going to do really great things. If they can get a lot of those hitters kind of in, in order, it hasn't exactly been the exceptional start from a number of the veteran hitters, for example. But, but this is a team that, you know, there are 30 games in the season. It's kind of been that condensed year for softball, just like it is for baseball too. Um, they, they have to get ready and kind of be focused on the postseason. It's coming up really fast. And also you've got to make that impression early 
because the NCAA is going to choose these regional sites in baseball and softball. Bids will be made in April. Decisions will be made in May. It will kind of cheapen these postseason tournaments. But for, for a four-state softball team, you get out there, you make that impression early, and, and you solidify yourself as a, as a regional host and maybe even a super regional host. And we know how important that is if you want to go to Oklahoma City. Did I, did I read correctly or hear correctly, Bob, that the NCAA is not going to attach or require a financial guarantee given COVID concerns? Because normally you have to attach some dollars that you would guarantee for that. But if you don't, then Florida State, no question, uh, they probably would put in bids anyway. But if there's no financial guarantee required, they absolutely will do it. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about the financial guarantee rule, if that's been waived, but, but typically you do have to put in a guarantee um, every year. That's a requirement in a non-pandemic situation. I think sitting here right now in, in early April, we, pre, we feel pretty solid about where softball is as a host. I would also underscore that Forsyth has built-in advantages. They've got a COVID testing lab at Innovation Park, literally a couple miles down the road. It's the infrastructure is right there. The facilities between Joanne Graff Field and Dick Hauser Stadium are exceptional. They've hosted regionals and super regionals. The question for baseball, quite honestly, is got to get moving a little bit. Uh, it would be great to win two out of three up at Louisville, a top 10 team, so that you feel solid about yourself as a potential regional host. For baseball, the difficulty right now is your RPI is around 50. It's extremely low. Um, you have to literally make that move um, quite rapidly. You just don't have the time. You don't have the postseason tournament to give you that little bump anymore. You have to make that impression in the next month. Hey, Bob, or Tom and I talked about this. Are we officially spoiled as regards men's basketball? The uh, 2021 team finishes the season number 10 in the country, and we're just now talking about it with you. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of other good sports going on, a lot of good teams and, and basketball. I think it's I think it's really cool to see these way too early top 25s because we can kind of laugh and say, you know, shoot, basketball season is still five months away. But to see, you know, an, an ESPN or a Washington Post, um, you know, major news outlets thinking that, that Florida State is, is a top 10 team um, for next season, for 21 and 22. And that's even without knowing who's coming back. It's, it's the knowledge of the core of the roster, the recruiting class, plus Leonard Hamilton and what the staff does year to year. Um, I almost chuckled. I think one of the guys wrote, you know, are we going to do this again? Are we going to discount what Florida State has done year to year, um, you know, note, noting in full who they're losing without giving complete respect for who's coming back? And, and it's... I think the knowledge that Florida State has gotten to a Sweet 16 three straight years, not counting that pandemic, you know, canceled tournament, I, I think it's caught everybody's national attention finally that Florida State deserves that respect on the national stage. And, you know, frankly, in a lot of these early top 25s, they're viewed as the top ACC team. Um, I think in one Duke was just based on, you know, a bunch of five stars coming in. But the respect for Florida State overall is, is really pretty cool. Bob Frante, our Osceola insider. Hey, Bob, uh, spring weekend, a lot of activities going on, including the Osceola's got a happy hour, I guess, at uh, Hotel Indigo. Is that right? On Friday night for subscribers or for everybody? 
Yeah, you know, welcome to, to stop on by. Hotel Indigo is a really great uh, spot right in College Town. We're going to be hanging out and talking football, basketball, baseball, the spring sports. Um, you know, we're looking forward to kind of meeting people face to face. We've done Zoom happy hours for 13 months now, and it's, it's been fun to, to connect with people all over the country. But I think what we're looking forward to is, you know, this is kind of a homecoming for a lot of Florida State fans coming back to Tallahassee to enjoy football and and see some spring sports too this weekend. So uh, hopefully the rain cooperates and we'll have a fun weekend. All right. I think that's 630 Friday night at Hotel Indigo. Bob Frante, our Osceola insider. We'll step aside and wrap up Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles. Thanks to Bob, as always. Keith, uh, just a little bit of time for us to finish up. I want to go back to the point I was making at the at the start, uh, we'll, we'll talk basketball here for a little bit. Here, here's the two dates you need to circle for next year. Well, first of all, I mentioned the Final Four is in New Orleans. So, uh, on a serious note, I've gone to the Final Four a couple of times purely as a fan, not media access. And the NCAA makes tickets available to the public through a lottery. Lottery, exactly. Sort of like you can get practice round tickets for the Masters. And some people probably got there this week. And I'll just state, and I've not done the master's practice rounds, but I'm sure that's a better experience in terms of the sight lines than what the tickets are you can get through the basketball lottery. Because the two times I got them, I sat in the top row of a football dome and the stadium wasn't even centered in the football field. It's on the other side. Uh, Literally rented binoculars in the Superdome to watch Carmelo Anthony win a national title. But all that said, the atmosphere that goes on around it is well worth it if you if you can find a way to get there. But then I started thinking about it, and if you look at it next year, the Final Four is April 2nd and April 4th. And six months later, September 4th, is when the FSU football team is playing in the Superdome against LSU. So if the if the prognosticators, the odd maker, odds makers are right, and Leonard Hamilton's going to get you know the team to the Final Four next year, we might have the basketball boys and the football team playing the Superdome in the same year. How about that one, KJ? Stranger things have happened, but not that much stranger. That would be wonderful. That would be absolutely <laughs> wonderful. So if you've never been to New Orleans, it's like I'm working for the city, right? Uh, my brother-in-law is involved over there in Metairie. Um, but no, I'm, I'm not a pitch man for him. But if you're looking for an excuse, there's a couple of good excuses. Okay, the one last thing we mentioned in our, our extensive pre-show planning meeting, which I think it, it might have made it 30 seconds today, Keith, which is a new record. Right. You did point out Howard Schnellenberger, uh, who recently passed. and you know, I grew up in South Florida and, and candidly, my first memories of college football were not Florida state. I did not grow up as a Florida state fan. I came to Florida state. And, uh, but at that time, all of South Florida embraced, embraced the hurricanes and, uh, just for perspective, and you can add yours on this. The only thing that was in South Florida was the dolphins at that time. There was no Panthers. There was no heat. There was no Marlins. The entire community was Miami dolphin fans and then all of a sudden, here come the Miami Hurricanes under Howard Schnellenberger and that, you know, and then Jimmy Johnson in the in the 80s and, and from there. But he really was a pioneer with what he did. And the only other story I'll share, and I'll let you weigh in, uh, when I was working 
I don't even recall the timeline, but working full-time in sports, I was shooting video at a North Florida Christian football game one night, and I look up, and there's Howard Schnellenberger in his OU hat standing on the sideline, obviously eyeing somebody. It was the one year that he was at Oklahoma, and so I talked to him for a while. That deep Howard Schnellenberger voice, you know, he was probably smoking a pipe, I don't recall. But uh, there he was at NFC, and hardly anybody even had noticed, but you couldn't miss him if you were down on the sideline. I mean, he was an iconic figure in the state of Florida, really in football in general. He was certainly, uh, you know, very, very outgoing and had a personality that was off the charts. I think Coach Bowden will tell you that he was one of his favorite coaches that he went up against. You know, we forget about the fact that he's an Alabama guy. You know, he, he, he grew up in Alabama football. Uh, he came to the Dolphins through uh, some other professional stints and was the offensive coordinator of that 72 undefeated season. And then, and then that springboarded him into Miami. But when he took the Miami job, people thought he was nuts. And all he did was turn that program around in five years and win a national championship in 83. I played against his teams in 79 and 80. We beat them in 79, lost in 80. And then I actually met Coach Schnellenberger in Tallahassee in 83, the year that they won the national championship. They played Florida State, and I was invited to uh, participate in their, their pregame Bible study uh, before the game. And you got to meet him then. Um, you know, we forget about him because he got kind of lost in the Louisville thing and starting FAU. He was 10 years down there. He wasn't on the national map. But in terms of colorful and accomplished, he's right up there with the best of them. And he was just a neat guy to be around. I know he's going to be missed by a lot of folk. Amen to that. Uh, and, and, you know, you think about that, that promotional uh, photo that, that he and Bobby took in the boxing ring. I mean, that's sort of when the heyday got started. Uh, I mean, you were, you were part of it a little before then, but when you think about football in the state of Florida in the eighties, I mean, it was there and then Florida came back in the nineties and, you know, we had that run that I think is why we've all been so hooked on this for so long or a big part of it. That's when the phrase began coach Bowden promoted it. If you want to win a national title, you got to win the state title first. At least I played Miami, right? Put it on his tombstone. Put it on his tombstone. Keith, we're out of time. Enjoyed it as always. Uh, I'll see you this weekend. Sounds good. Thanks, Tommy. All right, he's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. Control.